Hello, everyone. I'm the, uh, Paul Duncan, uh, also known as at the football on all social media. And today we have a special guest. We have Sarah, the founder of the Draft Bible, who's going to tell us how he got to where he is, uh, what kind of uh, what kind of inv best advice he's gotten, and also will give us a big announcement. We're we're actually breaking news on this podcast. It's crazy how it, this is this has grown so quickly. Oh, thanks for having me, Paul. I'm a big fan and appreciate you having. It's almost like uh, brought to you by NFL Draft Bible after Jesse and Ryan, now myself. So uh, I definitely appreciate listening to your podcasts and uh, looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, it's been it's been kind of uh, nice a little. I don't want to say it's been a like change of pace, but for the first couple episodes, we kind of focused on this being for um and interviewing the scouts at XTB, kind of talking with the young uh, the young scouts, the people who are trying to uh, break into the industry and hearing their perspective. And now I've had the chance to talk with people who are a little bit a little bit further uh, further up. We st we started off with Jesse talking about database man uh, management, then. We we talked uh, talked with Ryan about scout um, about scouting and court uh, who were both scouting coordinators and now we're move, moving up to the uh, the head honcho and uh, we uh, I'm not sure if you saw it, we had an NFL player in between we had Gary Dieter on the show that was one of my favorite episodes very cool yeah so uh, how we always start the show is we always we always start at the uh, at the beginning I love hearing about the background uh, background um, how how did you fall in love with football? Were you a football guy from the very beginning, or did you catch on later? Yeah, so <laughs> how much time do you have for this story? All right, I, I'll try to give you the abbreviated version. It's been quite the journey. Um, but, you know, I've always had a passion for the NFL draft, especially. I mean, I was always that guy in the back of the classroom in high school, you know, uh, just jotting down scouting opinions and, and creating reports for nobody but myself, right? And I would watch the draft, and growing up, I was – a big John Elway guy and uh, always was a, a Broncos fan growing up. And so like, I remember the year Zach Thomas came out and we needed a middle linebacker. I want to say they took Ashley Lillet in the first round there. What a bust that was out of Hawaii. Um, Pretty sure it was second. Okay. So, and, and then, so anyway, you know, here comes the Broncos. I'm like, Oh, okay, great. They'll take Zach Thomas. They need a middle linebacker. And then the second round comes. And then, you know, I think he goes in the third or the fourth round and, you know, there was a lot of guys after that that it was just like, hey, you know, I might have something here where, you know, I, I love doing this. I'm starting to kind of identify guys that are going in the mid to late rounds or even undrafted. And um, so I just kind of carried that passion always with me. And, you know, coming out of school, my first job, you know, I can relate to kind of the uh, – the kids coming out of college today, I was the first graduating class after 9-11. So I had seen all my jobs get uh, all my friends get all these great big paying jobs. And then the economy crashed. And like, you know, I remember my first job, Mike and the Mad Dog show for the Yes Network. The Yes Network had just launched. And so like uh, I was doing an internship for this show box uh, boxing you know, on HBO or Showtime or something. And the guy was like, hey, you know, do you have any interest working for the Yankees? And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, sign me up. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I commuted to uh, Stanford, Connecticut for seven months. 
And I think this is important for like people to understand how opportunity comes and the sacrifice that you have to make. And um, seven months, I didn't get paid a dime, you know, and you can imagine the traffic from New Jersey to Connecticut each and every day. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. And so then football season started and I was doing the NFL now with Mike Francesa. So now I'm working seven days a week, not getting paid and literally sleeping, you know, it, uh, on the weekends, it's not even worth trying to get back and forth because I just had to be there the next morning. So I would literally <laughs> sleep on the producer's couch. Right. And so, you know, I did that for seven months. They finally offered me a job for a whopping, I think, $30,000 and <laughs> signed up, you know, and, uh, just just so happened to be that, you know, I got a chance to see like George, George Steinbrenner was the first person to sign my checks, you know, out of school. And and so like everything was brand new. We launched this multi-billion dollar network from the ground floor and I got to experience that and be a part of it. And obviously a new website. And I was like, hey, you know, the draft is right down the street at the time in New York City. I'm like, you know, you guys have no draft coverage. I'm your guy. And so they, you know, they sent me to the draft there in 2002. And so, you know, my scouting analysis, the draft Bible was featured the first year on the Yes Network website. And, you know, I was 22 years old out of college. I remember it like you didn't have a spell check or anything like that. And I, I, I submitted all my work and then I was like, you know, the editor gets back to me. I'm like, how was it? He's like, you know, it was great. Awesome job. It's like the only one problem. It's like you spelt wide receiver wrong every single time. <laughs> I flipped the E and the I, you know, and, it, you know, kind of embarrassing there. But, you know, that's how I got my start. And so I started uh, publishing a book. Uh, Joel Buxbaum obviously was a huge influence on me. So when I launched my book, I think that's when he, he had just passed away. And I felt like at the time then there was a big void you know, in those pro football weekly draft guides or the books that I used to get. I mean, that to me was like, that was my Christmas, right? Getting his books. And so then I started the draft Bible publication and evolved into um, a website. In the meantime, I was living in uh, Astoria, Queens. I eventually moved on from the Yes Network, started working for, you know, NBC Sports and CBS Sports and um, all kinds of uh, different TV shows. Chad Ochocinco and T.O. had a TV show called Tiocho that I that I was a, a huge part of. And so after that show, I kind of um, launched a, 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 and and did the NFL Draft Bible full time. And I actually walked away from a corporate job. I was I was working in New York City, uh, literally across the the street from Madison Square Garden. I think on the 33rd floor. And most people would die uh, to have that opportunity and, and work with all these different. I, I was providing backstreams to to ML. You know, we built the infrastructure for the MLB network, and we're working with the NBA and NHL and all these great things. And it's just like, you know, to me, the corporate, you know, office space type deal, <laughs> you know, it, it just wasn't for me. And I said, you know what, I'm going to take the faithful, you know, faithful, you know, leap of faith and, and take that plunge and, and launch out and do draft Bible full time. And that was about 10 years ago. And so here I am today, Paul, you know, it's funny that first draft 2002, I've been to, to every draft since then. And that first draft is where I met John Murphy for the first time. And so now here we are almost 20 years later now hosting a daily morning show uh, due to the CFL 
not being in play. And so, you know, it's all, it's all come back around again, but it's been quite the journey and it's been unbelievable to see how this industry has evolved. Cause when I launched NFL draft literally, I tell this story all the time. Literally there was like, I can count on one hand how many draft sites there were. And people are like, why would you cover such a thing? You know, and you see how many there are today. So it's amazing to see how this industry has changed, how it's evolved, how easy it is to obtain film and, and information and at the palm of your hand where we used to have to work so hard to track the stuff down. Yeah, I mean, it's just become so, so much more like accessible. I mean, Twitter has lots of downsides, but one of the upsides is is like niche communities can form and like it's like you have the football community, which is a larger one, and then it just gets slow, uh, more and more niche, you know, film study, and to the point where we are solely covering the value of 21 to 23-year-old kids as they get put into this contractually obligated system of how NFL teams acquire new players. It's just, like, when you think about it, it is so tiny and niche, but the fact that people are able to get, like, make full-time money off of it like i'm pretty sure like there are people at like the draft network who don't have a, don't have any second jobs and just do work for work there full-time to, uh, towards the top like there are there are actual like more than 10 people who are making a living off of covering the draft for in media in a media sense and i just think that's so crazy oh it's tough and i mean we always talk about it too like i i think I think making money off of a media scout is even harder than an NFL scout. And like, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about it all the time. There, this was when the CFL and XFL were both up and running. There was like 750 scouting jobs on the planet. So, I mean, you think about it, you know, there, there's about a thousand rookies brought into training camp each year. So like, it's, it's actually harder to become an NFL scout than it is to become an NFL player. Now, you want to make money in the media world as a media scout? That's an even harder deal. And I would joke about it. Like, I see the scouts on the pro day circuit, and they'll joke, like, hey, at least you've got job security. Like, you ain't going nowhere. But, you know, the upside is I'm not making triple digits like those fellas either. Yeah. So that's um, that's kind of interesting. I just thought it was, uh, one, interesting how you kind of did this all from like a broadcasting aspect. And the other fact is that you're a Yankee fan, right? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. It's So you're a fan of the team that destroyed um, that broke my parents heart and a fan of the team that uh, broke my heart. I'm an Indians fan. It like oh, it, it hurts. It just really hurts. If I have to see Francisco Endor in a Yankee costume, I, I might just. Need well, to you guys it. got us. You guys got us back in 97. I think it was. So, yeah. And then you guys got us back in 2019, 2018, 2009, pretty much every other year. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we're we're getting a little uh, antsy here. You know, I'm I'm based in the Jersey Shore here, so we're we're a lot of Yankee fans. But one championship in 20 years is, is just not going to cut it. So, uh, Aaron Boone, if you're listening, time to step your game up, brother. All right. So um so I get take it the draft bible just came out um out of just 
cool on uh, in, uh, interest in, in the draft. But I was wondering, like, how did you learn everything? Did you just learn everything from books, Bomb? Because, like, uh, coming from the broadcasting background, I like, how often were you communicating with actual, like, coaches and agents? And how did you get from to the point where you're just watching film and you're just seeing what guys are fast and how hard guys hit to understanding, oh, this guy is playing in a cover two, uh, cover two system as a middle linebacker. He needs to drop here. This is why he's here. Um, and uh, like schematics and that next level. How did you get that from the broadcasting industry? I mean, you it takes just like anything else. The the hours, you know, you do what is it, ten thousand hours, and you become an expert. But I mean, you know, you've got to do the work. It takes a long time to feel confident and, and really feel confident in putting that final grade down next to a player. I mean, it took years to, and, and I'm still not mastering the craft. But I think you just learn on the fly. I think the the one good thing is I had a lot of great mentors. I had a lot of people that were in the business that shed a lot of knowledge. I think the other thing, too, is 20 years ago, it wasn't like everything wasn't so guarded like it is today. Like it was a lot easier to gain access and get credentials. And maybe because I had that TV background and I knew the process for obtaining credentials and reaching out to teams and who I should contact to get credentials. Like I was doing that in my twenties by 25, I was an executive producer. So I knew how to work the media world and get into those colleges. And when the pro days came around, I mean, I'd literally be the only person at temple pro day, like not even the NFL scouts would show up because they were terrible. And so like, you know, I've got schools now where I've been going to the pro days for almost 20 years at like Rutgers and all these schools in my backyard um, you know, so you learn on the, you, you learn on the super fly, we call it, and it just takes time. I mean, I'm, I've learned more probably, you know, this past year or two than I have in, in the first 18 years, possibly just because, you know, now I'm scouting with the NFL PA collegiate bowl and some of the scouting meetings that I'm in there, just listening to, to other people talk and, you know, being, being down on the field. I mean, I went to 25 games last year and I probably visited another 25 or 30. So that was like 80 schools I saw in person speaking to all the coaches, you know, chatting it up in the press boxes. And like the other thing too, is like these NFL teams are so sick of me, Paul, they've been on my email blast. A lot of them for, for, for 20 years, you know, they get the draft Bible emails and so they'll see me and they'll say hello. And it's funny. I, it's, it's embarrassing because the scouting community knows who I am and I, I don't even know who these guys are coming up to me and saying hello. And, and I feel bad and, and like, you know, it's great to have the access. And I always say this too. I mean, you know, the, 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 the reality is we've got 2,500 players in our database right now. You know, we'll narrow it down to like a top 1000 big board. We'll have scouting reports. We finished with 728 last year, but you know, it's it's really like learning how to eliminate a lot of nonsense, because if you know who to listen to and you have access to the right information, it's a lot easier to focus. Like nobody can scout 750 guys like we need an army of people to do that. Right. But, you know, you think about the process. And to me, over the course of time, you learn when you do this. 15, 20 hours a day, year after year. And that's, that's essentially what we do here. Um, you, you, you know who to listen to. And that's a big part of it. 
And that really can eliminate a lot of mistakes and really help you cut to the chase in terms of who you need to focus on and who you need to pay attention to because time is so valuable. There's no way we can evaluate every 2,500 guys. And that's why I just tweeted right before we hopped on the show. Matthew Wilkerson from from Edward Waters College is out here at the Hub Free Agent Football Camp just you know, leapfrogging guys at six foot six, 260 pounds. He played this past year at 280 as a defensive lineman. And this guy's better than, you know, a, a third of the tight ends in the league right now. I, I had a GM tell me, I, I, thanks for letting me know. I never heard of him. So, I mean, there you have it. Um, there, there's, there's just too much, too many players out there that, you know, what the NFL Draft Bible provides, and going back to why I got involved in this, the backbone of our business has always been the diamonds in the rough. It's always been the mid to late round gems, the undrafted priority free agents that, quite honestly, you know, there's really not many good NFL Draft websites out there. Like, you want to say ESPN and NFL Network are good, that's fine, and, and they've got a multi-million dollar budget to produce that. Is it great? You know, I think that's up for debate depending on what your expectations are. At the NFL Draft Bible, our expectations are the fans want to know about the guys just as much on day two and day three and even the undrafted free agents as much as they want the first-round players. And, and that's where we've always differentiated ourselves and took it to that next level. And I think now, you know, others are finally starting to catch on but not nearly enough like it needs to be. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you're, you're, you just hit one of our uh, recurring themes of the podcast, that <laughs> um, being able to tell the difference between a sixth and a seventh rounder and a an you know, undrafted free agent is uh, more important than being able to tell the difference between a top five and a top ten pick or a first rounder and a second rounder. Uh, it's something that um, our guy... Um, your guy and my guy Brian always tells me is that the people, the the GMs and the uh, director of college, um, director of college scoutings, they are there because they were able to find the uh, seventh rounders who played like second rounders, not because they hit on their first rounders. Like you're supposed to hit on your first rounders, and when you don't, like there's, it may not always be the scout's fault, but if you can find, uh, if you if you found Malcolm Butler, if you found uh, Austin Eckler, those are the types of people that get promoted, and the, um, that's kind of been something that I feel that I've kind of been able to provide with uh, the XTB scouts. Is is we have a list of we've gotten more than 300 reports done. Um, it's been a huge focus for me. I think I've only scouted two first round two first round candidates, and I've already scout uh, scouted like three or so guys that I think are like seventh round to high pri- priority free agent. Uh, it's it's just, it's definitely different, but I think it's one of the most important things that you can do as a scout. And if you want to take yourself from being like guy on draft, guy on draft Twitter, like everybody else to somebody who's really focused on the industry is focus on players outside the top 200. So yeah, I just, Whenever when whenever I start seeing like these recurring themes, we we, we got to point them out every time they hear it because like this is kind of what it's for. This is who mostly listens to this podcast are like the young uh, the young the young scouts and young people in the draft industry who want to break through. Yeah, 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you want to differentiate yourself, you know, you start finding those guys and, and you've got to give credit now. I've always had an appreciation for the CFL scouts. You want to talk about a different type of scouting because now you've got to go like I'll see them out at, at the all-star games and they've got to identify the guys that are really, really good, but just not good enough for the NFL. Right. Yeah. And that really takes a talented eye. And, you know, I give those guys a lot of credit because now they're scouting. They they, they can identify the cream of the crop, but they got to identify the fringe guys. And like the, going back to the NFL PA Collegiate Bowl, I appreciate that challenge, too. Because it's like, all right, you've got the senior bowl. They're going to take their 120 guys. Probably at least 100 of them are going to get drafted. Mm-hmm. And then about another 100 underclassmen are going to get drafted. And as you know, only like 250 guys get drafted. So now it's literally a, us against the East-West Shrine game to fight over and try to find and identify those 50 guys remaining that might get drafted. And it's challenging. I mean, we had 15 guys drafted last year and 30 guys invited to the combine. And, uh, you know, I was I was proud of, uh, to be a small part of that. But, you know, working with those guys and then, you know, like NFL draft Bible, I, I talk to the teams, no BS. And, and I send them information. They're like, how the F do you get this? Because this is like way more in depth than what we have. They're like, how are you doing this? And I said, well, hey, you know. The one benefit of COVID has been NFL Draft Bible, and I hate to say that, but like if COVID doesn't happen, David Turner, who's teaching our Friday Night Scout School now, he's up in Edmonton. Uh, Russell Landy, who's on our show every Tuesday, he's scouting for Calgary. John Murphy, you know, he's been a, a CFL executive for the p- past 15 years, and, and, and there's just so many other guys that are, you know, wanting to remain involved and, and part of the game and. And so, like, you know, I'll, I'll put our scouting department and you throw guys like Ryan Roberts into the mix who grinds out more film than anybody I know. I mean, I'll put our, our front office up against anybody because this is what the teams tell me, you know. And so I'm proud of, like, all, all the people that I've surrounded myself with. And um, you say, how do you learn? Well, you surround yourself with people that are much smarter than yourself. <laughs> exactly. I, I've been – I've uh, – the – the CFL being out has kind of helped helped me as well. Uh, what is it? We've gotten calls. Um, we've gotten on Zoom calls and uh, from uh, former like Tampa Bay Vipers offensive line coach, uh, Mr. Poindexter. He's been he's hopped on some Zoom calls and taught us some of the uh, tenets of offensive line play. Uh, we we were hooked up with another scout, Matt from uh, Neil Neil Stratton. Uh, mm-hmm. He. Uh, he he's going to come on um he's going to come on the our little private sessions at some po- uh, at some point too so it's like being able to get a hold of these people who you know know their stuff and pick, pick their brain and like the thing is is like like some some people in some industries they're like too busy to like or they think they're too like good for this but like with the cfl gone and like them having more time a lot of the people love actually have the heart and love to help people. Now they actually have the time to do so. So it's like just a matter of reaching out and scheduling and being on time and being smart with it, that you can actually learn from a lot of, a lot of great people. Heck, I mean, you even have your uh, scout, uh, scout schools and Baldy's breakdowns. I was at the one uh, for edge rusher, edge rushers last week. So nice. Yeah. And you know, and like you listen to Baldy talk, (laughs) 
And I always go back to like the Bob Wiley seminar, which I got to get to you, uh, Paul, because you'll appreciate this. It's just two hours of Bob Wiley and Brian Baldinger breaking down offensive line play. And, and you know, again, you, you can probably learn more in those two hours than, you know, what you've learned in a lifetime on offensive line play. I mean, Bob Wiley's been coaching the position for 50 years, right? And, and, and Baldy, you know, talk about a guy who knows O-line play. He was an undrafted free agent, played in, uh, over a decade in the league as an offensive lineman. And just to listen to those two guys talk, and I actually have like the, uh, the, the, you know, uh, on the edit room floor, like they did a pre pre show, like a warm up show. Cause they don't, they didn't really know each other until I introduced them. So they just kind of went over some of the plays that they were going to be discussing and just like that conversation. And, and like I told Baldy, like when I first proposed the idea, cause usually it's Baldy by himself. But when I first proposed the idea to Baldy, I was like, Hey, listen, I got a guy that I think would be great. If you remember Bob on, on hard knocks, he's quite the personality. And so like my first day, uh, this past year, uh, as a member of the staff for the NFL PA ball, I just so happened to sit down in the coaches lounge between coach Wiley and Jackie Slater, yellow jacket. And so like, and that conversation, like I didn't want to get up and leave the room because I'm literally in the middle of, of these two guys and they're talking about O-line play. And, you know, that that's probably like one of the most memorable conversations that I've ever been involved with just because I learned so much listening to them talk about the intricacies of offensive line play. It was just unbelievable. Absolutely. absolutely. And especially because offensive line play is so like – there's so many like little stuff that they do that can be kind of hard to uh, hard to tell but like once you like learn once you like learn about like something as simple as the trail hand for like the guard like the guard is dropping back and they have like the one hand like they have the one hand that's uh that's like having to double team but then they have like the other hand that's just there in case there is a stunt and then you see that from like a guard you know uh you're like okay hey maybe he's well coached he's doing something that i saw that the ex uh experts are doing because not everybody not every offensive lineman in college is well coached some are just kind of because what is it college uh college coaches don't train people to get to the nfl they train them to win so as long as they're doing good enough that the coach that that the quarterback is dropping back and as long as they're doing good enough to make the offense uh move well they're they don't need to teach them every little thing about nfl play so when you see it um, when you see like uh, like a professional person, like a Baldy or a Wiley, or an, an offensive line guru point something out, and then you see some linemen doing it and other linemen doing that, that's a sentence in your scouting report. That's something that you noticed that average uh, Joe on Twitter isn't going to be able to see. That makes your work valuable. That maybe someone else's work uh, will lack that. Well, yeah, you know, following up on what you said, and here's something you know that. Like Dane Vandernat, who was the director of pro scouting for 10 years for the Oakland Raiders. I have a chance to work with him now at the NFL PA Bowl. He's the director there. And so, and David Turner echoes the same sentiment. But, you know, the great thing about Abaldi's breakdown and why we do it is if you're a scout, you know, the thing that they made all their scouting department do is go to training camp. Like before you go and hit the college trails, you come into training camp just to refresh the memory. Hey, this is the baseline, right? This is what we're looking for. 
here's what NFL guys look like. Just as a refresher, a reminder, you go see, you know, your NFL guys, right? And so, like, mm-hmm. I would always do the training camp tour. And this is advice for, like, any any young scout. Like, you want to, you know, you want to el- train to see elite. This is what elite looks like. So you know what you're looking for because, you know, that's what Baldy does. So you get that baseline. I used to do the training camp tour. Like, if you can get the credentials – I used to go to half a dozen training camps around the NFL because I'm in a great location to get to them all. And then I would go hit the scouting trails. And so now you know what you're looking for and you have that baseline. And I think that's that's a good kind of way to get familiar with, you know, how to identify talent. But, you know, one thing Coach Wiley and, and Brian Baldinger mentioned, and I forget if it's actually during the actual seminar or the, or the warm-up show they did, but they said it's always amazing to them how players don't study the best. Like, they never understood, like, why wouldn't you watch the best players at your craft in order to learn how to get better? And, and Coach Wiley said he, he coached Anthony Munoz, Hall of Famer. He said Anthony carried his notebook everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, he, he was always taking notes. And, and same guy, like, they mentioned, I think, uh, Hayward from the Steelers. Baldy brought up he's at the Pro Bowl you know taking notes you know because Baldy was down there that's where they the, the the film session show that he records with Kurt Warner they recorded it at the Pro Bowl and he said like you know he, they're they're recording these episodes and different guys are coming in hanging out kicking back having some cocktails at the Pro Day and here comes Cam Hayward walks in with his backpack takes out his notebook and like he's ready to like take notes and Baldy's like, what are you doing? And like, you're in Hawaii or Orlando, wherever they were. Oh, no, no. Like, I'm always learning. And and they said, like, the great ones are always taking notes. So, like, you know, if you're a scout, always take notes. The, those um, sessions that Neil Stratton does, like, and I'll pop on some of our scouting seminars. The one thing I really rarely see people ever do, Paul, is taking notes. I never see anybody's head down, like, writing, writing notes. Like, I rarely see it these days. And I think, you know, that's that's the one thing I've got notebooks, like pff, hundreds of them laying around. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a good idea. I do think um, I think most people have moved their note taking to like Google Docs. Uh, I think that's like now that you say that, I think um, what is it like next time I'm at um, like when I, I have a I have like um, we're doing a Zoom call with somebody uh today that we're going to be learning from i think that's what i'm going to do i'm going to have a google docs and just start uh just start taking notes so i can always yeah yeah, just keep uh keep pulling through um i'm going to go back to um when you said that uh you've learned more in the past year than you've had in the past 18 um you said you've started to go um to games in person that is a step that i have not yet taken i mean i've been to a bunch of college football games i worked with sport the sports information staff when i was at bowling green state university go falcons so i have been at like lots of college games but or just a lot of college sports games in general so i kind of know how they work but i was kind of wondering what was the big difference for you from moving to his um between watching a prospect on film and watching a prospect at the game there's nothing to me there's nothing like the eye test right and i'll always believe that um because when you see a guy in person you know that that's the the best evaluation that you can get is standing 
you know, down on the field, sizing a guy up, seeing how they interact. I mean, being down on that field an hour before the game, uh, not only getting to see how that player interacts, but also just talking to all the coaches that are hanging out and, and getting that intel and that information, like, hey, are they well-liked by their teammates? Are they doing what they're supposed to do in the classroom? Are they a leader? You know, how do they learn? What's their personality like? Um, you get to find out these things. And, like, you know, a lot of times I'll be in the parking lot, uh, you know, yucking it up with the families and the and the mom and the dad. You know, they're out there tailgating and pre-gaming it up. And you get to know what their family background is like, who they surround themselves with. Hey, so-and-so's friend is here. Oh, his childhood buddy's here. Oh, here's his brother. And, and you're hanging out with, you know, guys that are going to go on and be first-round picks. And, like, you know, I'm not here to, 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 to knock any GMs. But, like, I see, you know, I think just last year a team traded up into the first round. You know, I had heard through his trainer and that's what's great about the draft Bible is like we have trainer and agent relationships in addition cool. to team relationships like all over the country. So the trainer, you know, lets me know that this kid, he showed up for like the first day of combine training and we've never heard from him again. And he's like, I called the agent and the agent just kind of like laughed it off and, and like we can't find him. And so the kid, he completely went to the combine and, and flunked. And then the NFL team and like, the kid has terrible work ethic, poor character. Um, it seems like everybody, I don't know how this team didn't know, but then they trade up in the first round and give up draft picks to, to take them. And he's not even on the team right now. So it's amazing uh, how much goes into this process, how much can be missed. And I always say, like, if there's anybody who's figured out how to master this, uh, they'd be they'd be a million time a, a billion, millionaire a billion times over because that's the that's the 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 bottom line is like hey there's going to be 32 picks in April and 50 percent of them history tells us are going to be busts that's incredible. Mhm. And you know I've always one of the things I just kind of wondered is like how many of those busts are like the scouts' fault and how many of them are faults of the coaches and how many of them are just fault like faults of like just fail failure to communicate. Because uh, I remember uh, when the Browns drafted Corey Coleman, apparently the Browns gave up on him like a week in the training camp. The coaching staff was just gave up didn't didn't view him as a first rounder anymore they didn't view him as a future star so they just treated him like he was just an end of the ro- end of the roster guy and uh, like we don't know if that's due to the fact that he didn't have the talent if he didn't have the uh, character traits or if he had the character traits and he had the talent but you paired him with somebody like Hugh Jackson and it just di- it just didn't mesh he got demoralized and stopped caring and then went downhill from there and that's I- one of the tough things that I've always wanted to know about. I, I believe this is what I believe. I, I don't think first round busts. I don't think they bust due to lack of talent. I, I just don't buy it. Okay. Because there's too much film for most of these guys. Um, quarterbacks. Yes, I get it. Wide receiver now is the big bust factor because of these widespread offenses. But I, I truly believe that most times it goes back to, you know, what's between the ears and what's right here in the, in in the center of your chest. And you can't measure somebody's heart. You can't measure somebody's passion. 
and you really don't know what's fully between the ears, you can you can do your best to form an opinion, but you truly don't know when you when you hand somebody that big money contract how they're going to respond. And so I truly believe that it's always been a mental thing. It's always been a, a heart thing or I think a lot of times a lot of it can come down to coaching and good coaching goes a long way. I mean, you know, we we see it every year. Uh, Ryan Tannehill escapes a bad coach and then now he's like arguably the MVP in the league. He was, you know, and so good, good coaching goes a long way. And I think also, too, there's a lot still that you know, surprisingly are a lot of coaches at the NFL level that try to fit a square peg into a round hole. They have no um, flexibility with their system. They, they, they run their system. This is what it is. And this is what you're going to fit into. And I always thought like the best coaches always adapted to their personnel and were able to work around the talent that, that they were given and, and not, you know, try to force the talent to work into their system. And I think there's still a lot of that, unfortunately, at the NFL level. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of like the battle between the GM. Does the personnel dictate the scheme or does the scheme dictate the person, the personnel? And obviously, if you are a coach and you have your ideas and how you want things to be done, you're going to want to argue that, hey, we should let the scheme dictate the personnel, which should ho- uh, hopefully give you um, which should hopefully prioritize picks that fit the system but you may leave out a more talented player or somebody with a better athletic profile for somebody whose skill set fits what they want to do but on the uh, on the other end it's if you just kind of pick the best players available and ho- uh, hope that the coaches can fit them all together in the scheme you might be making the coaches uncomfortable uh, you might be making the coaches uncomfortable or you might have different players who fit different schemes so it's just like there's so many different things that you kind of have to like go fit together in those kinds of arguments that do, would you feel that that what i'm saying is accurate like i mean i've done I, I, really coaches I, well no, you know, I think what what you see and uh, when it, when the trend first began, I was kind of opposed to, it, but now I've come around on it where like the head coach a lot of times will be hired and then they're kind of like recommending who the GM will be, but if you look around the league, like the 49ers went to the Super Bowl last year, right? And Kyle Shanahan was the one who kind of vouched for John Lynch to to come on over, right? And so mm-hmm. like, you know, you see more and more of that um, obviously, the Patriots, Belichick is connected to all the decision making there. Kansas City, I mean, let's be honest, Andy Reid's really calling the shots, but the GM has the understanding that, like, hey, it's almost like I'm working for Andy kind of thing. Like, hey, John Dorsey, you gotta go. You're too big of a personality to to, to exist here. You're, you know, and and Chris Ballard was the ultimate buffer in Kansas City that kept that relationship going. So when Ballard went to Indy. You know, Dorsey and Reed were clashing, so they had to say bye-bye, John, and 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 find a guy like Mr. Veach who will go with the company line. Like, Andy Reed's calling the show. Like, Pete Carroll is the one that vouched for John Schneider to be the GM. And I think, like, when you're on the same page and the coach is connected to the GM, it seems like when you look around the league, that is a trend now that is having some success. Yeah, that I that that would that would make sense. 
I know uh, a lot of people will say they want to be like GMs when they grow up so they can run an NFL team like they, they do in Madden. But like it's just becoming harder and har- uh, harder to do that because like once you actually get there, you realize that people are like actually people and that the decisions you make have consequences and that you can't just put together some genius plan to come up with the perfect team. It's like there's just so many people involved. All right. So, uh. You have some breaking, uh, it's the time to move to the breaking news. Sure, let's do it. All right. Well, uh, so tell me, what's going on with the draft Bible here soon? <laughs> well, we were talking right before the show, and, you know, we don't know when this podcast is going to air, but um, when it does, you know, the NFL draft Bible will mo- be moving their entire platform over to the Sports Illustrated Network. And we will now become the official NFL draft content providers for SI.com and their and their new platform, which is going to be fan sided. And, you know, part of the uh, part of the deal is going to be, you know, the uh, Dynasty Draft Network, TDDR and those folks with, with Zach is all coming on board. We're, we're mer- merging uh, the powers that be. We're joining the forces. We're we're building the ultimate draft website that jesse always likes to talk about and you know again like i told you before we hopped on the show listening to jesse talk and ryan talk and you talk about what could be you know i i I believe that the time is right for nfl draft bible to jump back into the daily content game you know we've kind of positioned ourselves to get away from that because we weren't mainstream media we didn't have the million dollar budget of espn and nfl network and found it hard to compete but now with Sports Illustrated behind us, uh, we're going to unleash the beast, uh, so to speak. And uh, we've got a network of, of about 50 guys now uh, around the country that are going to just really ramp up the draft coverage like you've never seen it before. Uh, we're going to have rankings. We're going to have scouting reports. We're going to have daily shows, videos, podcasts, uh, dynasty, you know, rookie Devi, um, it's going to be unbelievable what we're putting together. I'm really excited about it. I think, you know, the, the folks, the good folks over at Sports Illustrated, they they hear me talk and, and they're probably shaking their head on the other line, Paul, like this guy is just nuts. But it's like I told them in, in my first conversation, this is where, uh, you know, 20 years of preparation meets opportunity and we're just going to pounce on it now. I believe that just like... Um, when I got into this business in 2002, uh, I thought there was a, a market and a need. Well, I think now more than ever with COVID especially, it's so hard to get information. Um, we're going to provide it. And, and and I'll tell you what, we've got the NFL team subscribing to our information. So I believe that it's going to be good enough for the public and the fans and, and all of our loyal following. Uh, that's going to be really excited to see us back producing content at a daily rate and uh i'm just so pumped up about it that's that's great how many people did you said are going to uh go are are on the uh, tddr and um uh draft by draft bible how many people are going to be working on this we'll we'll, no we'll have up to 50 five zero contributors around the country on this network Absolutely, that is that is amazing, and I'm sure the dra- uh, the draft guide will continue to uh, come out as planned. Um, all the other cool things on your site, uh, educational resources will still be there. So I was wondering, this is kind of something that uh, 
I've been kind of uh, feeling with uh, XTB is our kind of mission was to be very, as professionally focused as possible, uh, professionally focused as possible. Like I want to be an actual real NFL scout someday. I, I would love to work for uh, for the Cleveland Browns or any NFL team. So we try we design our our reports so that they can be read by general managers and that we and we hope that hey I mean we have like the top um we have like the top search result for scouting reports for pretty much any prospect outside of the uh, top 200 that if we write it for a GM that the people who are most interested in this stuff are are going to f- uh, find it so far that hasn't really been that mu- uh, much but we haven't done any rankings or top 200 or any mock drafts or any of that um like kind of stuff that you know will get clicks do you feel that there's going to be any challenge or issue balancing out your uh content that is very professional and for the um for like niche industry people in content that is for the general public to consume how do you balance that out because i actually want to know for myself just as much as i want to know for the pot (laughs) (laughs) well you know i I mean we can't give away all the secret sauce but i will tell you that we do have like okay rankings for example okay and, and jesse can vouch for this so our internal database that is used by some of the NFL teams and and the information that we will share with the uh, NFL teams. It does have some personal and medical information that I would never put out there publicly. It's just information that we've obtained from the player himself. Um, But I wouldn't do that in a public manner because it it could just really be in the public eye draw a lot of attention and maybe hurt his draft stock. And I never want to do that. But so like our internal database for every player, like I said, we've got 2,500 guys in there right now and there's 30 columns across for different points of information. And you know, Brian, you, you've seen how elaborate databases can get, right? So like, that's not like when you go to our rankings on the website, you're not going to get all those 30 columns, right? But you're going to have enough of it and, and, you know, I've put out like our <laughs> I the day I posted our rankings, Paul, I think we saw maybe a a, a 2000 percent increase in traffic. So I said, boy, oh, boy, when we get on the Sports Illustrated platform, people are really going to eat this up. But, you know, what's great to hear is like, you know, when I'm out at the hub in San Diego and I'm talking to the scouts and they say, hey, man, we you know, we really don't use the the internet much for our information he's like but he's like i i appreciate the rankings on your website like we we definitely you know don't have a lot of those guys or you hear from the agents like hey i called up team x y and z about about the guy you have ranked as a mid-round guy and they never heard of him and it's like again it just goes back to the COVID era um what the blesto and the national are doing i hate to tell you we're, we're the nfl draft bible is blowing them away and it's just i'm not trying to brag it's just they don't have the man like blesto is a four man operation with two full time guys and two part time individuals you can't tell me they can even possibly cover the ground and and some of the things like i have hundreds of 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 interviews that i've accumulated over this past year that i've never seen the, the daylight they've just been sitting on my desktop and now you know we'll we'll hold back some of that you know, information that's borderline too personal to put out to the public, but we'll now, you know, put out what we can and and shine the spotlight on those guys. And I believe again, 
the ESPNs, the NFL networks, they don't play to the intelligence level of their fans. You know, I, I've I've had the unfortunate pleasure of watching the 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 draft coverage in the day three. I mean, Jesus, I'm seeing ten picks scroll across the bottom of my screen, and they're still talking about the first round pick from day one, and they're not even mentioning a guy that just got drafted because they don't know how to talk about these guys. But for me, my new thing too that I want to really bring to this platform is we're going to have something called unsigned hype. You know, I was talking about Matthew Wilkerson and guys like Greg Dorch and Shane Ray. There's so many talented players out there that are unsigned right now, but due to the COVID protocol, because you've got a quarantine for five days before you can come into the facility and now work out. And now with the new uh, restrictions just put in place, how many people you can have in a building. It is so hard to get a tryout. It's so hard to get in front of NFL scouts. And the hub, credit to Don Yee and his, his team out in San Diego, they had 10 NFL scouts in attendance. And I really believe that is the next thing that not only the teams are going to be logging on for, I think the fans really love those stories. I mean, these guys that were were, were you know packing grocery bags and now they're playing on Sundays – who doesn't eat that stuff up? And I really want to highlight those guys and put those guys in the spotlight and provi- provide a platform for the for them as well because I I don't think anybody's doing that. Absolutely, like and when it does happen, I mean, ha- uh, may, it may just be me because I'm from Cleveland, but Damon Shehai Giuseppe, how much how much people were talking about him and how big a preseason punt return for a touchdown was because the guy was practically sleeping in laundry mats before to just to get a tryout like that's an incre- that's an incredible story and like I have some friends who are more casual fans, and they were even talking about like, "Yo, dude, we need to keep that. We need to keep this Damon guy. He's he should be our full time punt returner." And yeah, like that. That's kind of the that I think is a really good bridge from what I was saying. How we can combine our love of going through sixth and seventh round draft picks with something a ge- general public can be interested in, and that's something that I remember. Maybe like the stories of interest was something Sports Illustrated was always good at. Like they could, like I grew up reading Sports Illustrated. I was reading Sports Illustrated for kids at the library when I was in elementary school. I was reading Sports Illustrated all through all throughout high school. I was actually a, a researcher. I did some behind the scene research for some Sports Illustrated uh, right. writers. Can you guess who? Rick Riley. Nope, Andy. Andy Stapleton. Oh, the other one, Benoit. Andy Benoit. Oh, okay. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So Sports Illustrated has played such a big, um, such a big uh, role just in kind of like my upbringing that I think it's really cool that you, uh, you guys are going to be over there. And I have kind of stopped, uh, like reading Sports Illustrated like after some of my favorite uh, writers left, after Peter King, after Andy, um left and kind of how they turned and I kind of felt like they were trying to be more BuzzFeed for sports rather than the premier place for sports journalism. But now that I know that like if they're going to put their research um, resources and energy into somebody who provides as nice of a service as you guys do, then hey, yeah, I'm going to come back. Well, I can guarantee you that, you know, our NFL draft Bible coverage and our NFL draft coverage and our TDDR coverage will be nuts and bolts. And we've already had uh, a conversation internally. Uh, I won't stand for any clickbait. Uh, what we give you is just the facts, man. 
And, uh, you know, if you if you tune into the state of football or the NFL draft tailgate show in the mornings, uh, you'll see there, there's really <laughs> nothing that strays away from just straight hardcore football junkie talk. And, and that's what we're about. And I think, you know, I think that's what uh, is one kind of demographic that is kind of right in front of your face that people tend to overlook now the mainstream media it's that diehard football fan that uh, doesn't want all the fluff that comes with uh you know the the morning show that you see on the nfl network there yeah we 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 want we want the actual details we want the we want the actual actual football like i don't we don't really care so much about like the narratives or odell beckham kissing a football mat kind of content all right. Well, that's uh, exciting news. Is there any uh, anything else you uh, any just general advice or any closing thoughts? I uh, know you know you, you you struck a chord with me at the top of the show when you said you're going to ask me the best piece of advice that I ever received, and so like you know my dad always had two two favorite sayings, and one of them comes via John Wooden. Uh, you know the, those who fail to prepare, prepare to fail. You know has always been a big motto. And so uh, he got that one from John Wooden. The second one, I think he he made up himself because he was a roofer uh, 40 years, you know, God bless him. And uh, he he used to always tell me growing up because I hated school. And he he always used to say, hey, you want to push a pencil or you want to push a broom? (laughs) He's like, because you could could always come work up on the roof with me. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, uh, th- thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. Do you have any uh, social uh, socials or how people can get a hold of you, follow you on Twitter, and things of that nature? Yeah, I think the best thing to do is the Twitter account is the most active. If you want to know, keep on top of everything we do. It's always posted at NFL Draft Bible, and, and that's the best way. So um, appreciate the conversation, Paul. Look forward to uh, picking up our conversation on and off the air hopefully you have me back sometime and look forward to chopping it up absolutely well th- thank you everyone thank you everybody for listen uh listening i'd appreciate any shares comments positive reviews i've really been uh happy to try to uh, i mean podcasting was something that i've always thought i would be really enjoying and it's just been great to just see how i've just started from talking with people that I know to actually networking throughout the industry and talking with people with sizable followings. So I really appreciate the support and hope you guys will continue to listen. Uh, Thank you guys. I'm Paul Duncan at the football. Have a blessed rest of your day. Bye.